Welcome to episode four of the Canes Country podcast. This is Brett Finger again, senior writer, CanesCountry.com. Joined again by Justin Lape and Kyle Morton. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. It's pretty late at night we're, that we're recording this. It's been a pretty long day for all of us, but you know, content never sleeps. So uh, we're on our grind here, doing our best to deliver a quality podcast for our dozens of listeners. It never sleeps, but it is a day late. So <laughs> that's true. We we did sleep. I don't know. Sometimes it sleeps, okay, and sometimes sometimes things come up, and when you when you have a podcast, you can't always get it out every week, and that's okay. You know what would be even better than okay? What? Vegas Golden Knight tickets go on sale mid-August. You three of us podcast at the slot machines. Who says no? <laughs> I think every. I think Brian says no. Brian, okay. everyone is SB Nation says no. Dang. All right. Chuck Greenberg, who uh, made a trip down to Raleigh recently. Uh, apparently, he was talking to uh, minority investors and uh, took a look at uh, RCI, according to Jeff Gravely, WRAL. This is yet another update in the story of Greenberg purchasing the team and showing a lot of interest. How you guys take this new information? Yeah, I mean, he's already making big changes. I mean, I heard I heard from a pretty good source that what he actually did at RCI today was, you know, we've all heard a lot about how at the the minor league stadium that he, he runs that, you know, there's a lazy river in the outfield and how that was his big idea that he incorporated from the fans. Uh, and that's just a lot of fun thing for the fans to do. I heard that what he was doing at RCI today was he melted the ice uh, kind of had a construction crew digging a path and making RCI into a lazy river, uh, so that the prospects, when they report to camp, they don't they don't need to get good at hockey anymore. They can just you know have some fun, relax. Uh, good way to build team camaraderie and uh, probably good for their development because they won't get hurt. He's not actually buying the hockey team. He's just coming down here and looking for water park ventures that he could invest in. Justin, how you how you feel about Chuck coming down to uh, to Raleigh this week? Well, I think on a more serious note, it seems like things are getting serious that he would even take a trip down here. Uh, but no, it, it looks promising. I mean, again, we've been reiterating that this process will probably take a long time and it will continue to. So don't get too excited. Phil DiGiuseppe signed a one year contract. He was a qualified RFA up until now. The deal took a little bit longer than maybe some people expected, but two way deal. Kyle, what's your analysis of this? Well, unfortunately for Phil, I heard there was a handshake agreement last year that he would get one year on his next contract for every goal he scored this season. So unfortunately for him, that was only one. Uh, But, I mean, I think the guy gets a little underrated around the Canes internet uh, audience. Uh, The guy shot 1.5% this year when he was shooting, and that's just not something that's going to keep up. He was really, really good uh, two years ago when he got to spend some time uh, with Jeff Skinner and so a little bit of time with Eric Stahl before he was traded. He had 17 points in 41 games. And, you know, that's not outstanding, but, you know, that's a 34-point pace over a full season. And he only needed to shoot 10% to get there. So, you know, I think there's some upside. I think there's a solid depth score uh, that he could develop into pretty easily. Uh, and, you know, there may not be room for him on the roster this year with all the, the new acquisitions coming in. Uh, but he'll probably be you know, the main guy in Charlotte as a guy who's been a proven producer at the AHL level and a guy who's been through an AHL season a couple times. 
Uh, I think they'll look to him as a as a leader and as a main producer there. And I think he's another guy who could come up and perform well if there's injuries at the NHL level. Um, I, I wouldn't expect him to do as poorly as he did last year. I think there was a lot of bad luck involved there. I think you're right. I think he's a guy that doesn't really get talked about as much as he should be. And I, I understand why that is. He's kind of kind of been passed by Brock McGinn in terms of you know playing up at the NHL level uh, over the past year. And I I really liked you, Giuseppe. Um, especially when you compare him to to some of the players that were playing last year. I, I like him more than I like Nordstrom on the uh, on the fourth line. And in an ideal world, I'd like to see him on the NHL roster as soon as this upcoming year. But um, with all the one-way contracts that they've handed out, whether it be Nordstrom, who's, who's making over a million uh, this upcoming year, or Brock McGinn, who's on a one-way deal now, uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for him, um, unfortunately. But I, I, I do see him as a guy that can play up and you know produce. Um, the way that he plays the game kind of reminds me of Victor Stahlberg in a way. The way that he skates and uh, he keeps the pace up and he plays the body. Um, of course, if, if he turns into a Victor Stahlberg, I don't think many people uh, will be upset with that, though. So, yeah, he's a guy that I'm excited about even though uh, there doesn't appear to be a very clear way of him making the roster this upcoming year. Yeah, we'll have to take a look at what they look like in training camp, but I think the one guy that he could rival in terms of the NHL roster would probably be Josh Joris. Kind of have to see how he pans out because, you know, early analytics don't really prove that he's, you know, greatest bottom six guy for us but you know you'd like to see phil probably thrown in there maybe for a little bit of offensive flair but in terms of him maybe making the ahl roster i wouldn't like to see that because we have a lot of young guys that are going to be kind of getting their first little taste here and i wouldn't want phil to kind of hinder their development by maybe not allowing some of those younger guys to get the bigger minutes um you know you got guys like sorella and you know Wa and Walmart and stuff like that. So you want to see those guys be able to develop. So, um, you know, but I think it is definitely a do or die year for him. You know, with the one year contract. But we'll see. Well, according to uh, Babchuck Cannon on HF boards, uh, Mike Volucci was exposing some very confidential information on a plane, and uh, Phil Di Giuseppe is. Uh, listed in charlotte's top six so yeah apparently he was writing on a napkin i mean that's something that's very relatable every time i get on a plane i just write a bunch of personal information on a napkin like like if i'm if i was on a plane last night i would have wrote podcast 11 30 p.m tonight and someone could have seen that and assumed that i was on a big podcast but i'm on this podcast and you're on this podcast and they could have posted that about that on their message board account uh, but I do think there were some interesting uh, things that came out of that uh, alleged incident. Um, uh, notably, the line of Tolchinsky, Wah, and Gauthier. Obviously, Wah and Gauthier know each other very well from uh, playing together at, with Canada's World Junior Team this past season. And Tolchinsky is a guy I like a lot, especially at the AHL level. I think there's not really many hockey players in the world with his level of creativity. Uh, it's just there's a few things holding him back, notably like size, and you know he's not that great of a skater. Uh, but 
at the AHL level, I think he's a very dynamic player, and I think he would be a good fit with Juan Gauthier, and they'd create a lot of space for him. Uh, Justin, do you have any thoughts about what those uh, alleged lines, uh, how they looked? Well, I think the one line you definitely can't break off is Zikoff, Walmart, and Miller. I mean, I, they were a line that just lit it up in the second half of the season. They wouldn't have even made the playoffs if it wasn't for them, and they probably would have got swept in the playoffs if that line had been broken up. They have real chemistry down there, and you just can't really touch that line. Uh, the rest, I think, could be interchangeable, um, but I think you'd like to see I, the one I see in this post or whatever, Tolchinsky on line three. I don't see that happening, and I'm the biggest fan of Tolchinsky there is. I'd probably see him down at four, um, but we'll see. I, I think, yeah, but you really can't touch that Walmart line. What's interesting is looking down the middle um... – there are a lot of not necessarily guys that are going to be top, top end uh, NHL centers, but Walmart, Sorella, Wah, Kukinen, that's a really good center core for an yeah. AHL team. All of them young, all of them super talented. Um, even a guy like Fogel can play the middle of the ice too. Um, Podorowski, I believe, played center some last year too. Yeah, he he got some time at center, and he was one guy that really had a breakout year. Um, it was the one time I've ever gotten a prediction right. Uh, I just thought he would have a breakout year, and he was really good for them. Um, so him staying in the top six would be, you know, a continued boost for the checkers. Yeah, Brett mentioned the four guys down the middle. Uh, like all all four of those guys, uh, Walmart, Sarala, Wa, and Kukinen are all four of those guys are NHL prospects. Uh, we've already seen Walmart uh, get some get a stint in with the Hurricanes. Uh, certainly, Wa and Sarala will at some point, and if Kukinen can continue the momentum he's had lately uh, and parlay that into a good few months in the AHL, I'm sure he would get a look this coming season when injuries hit too. So yeah, that's an exciting thing in the AHL. It's just a generally exciting season in Charlotte because uh, I feel like, obviously, Justin could speak to this better than I could, but I feel like. The, what Charlotte has been the last few years, as far as forwards go, really, has been you know, kind of a bunch of journeymen and guys who are in their late 20s and not really guys who are NHL prospects. I mean, I guess Rask maybe was an exception. Lindholm played a couple short stints in Charlotte. But other than that, uh, Skinner jumped straight to the NHL. Ajo jumped straight to the NHL. Uh, the guys who are currently on the roster haven't really spent much time in Charlotte, and it'll be refreshing to see some prospects get some games down there. Yeah, as he said, you know, there there were a bunch of journeymen, and that was even evident last season. But, you know, heading into this season, you kind of have a sense of the guys that are definitely going to be there. Um, you know, I I don't see many of these players, I don't, I don't see them instantly getting a chance in the NHL this year. Um, but, you know, that could always change with injuries. I think to, the, to your point on there aren't a lot of journeymen, I think that's a really big... Uh, statement for where this organization is in regards to their prospects because in recent past they've had to get those kind of guys to you know fill out a roster in at that level but now you see a lot of a lot of players turning pro and when I look at just the forward unit the only person that really stands out to me as a journeyman is Andrew Miller who has who has been an AHL player for a long time now is in his late 20s um, outside of that, a lot of young players and a lot of rookies, which is very exciting. Yeah, and with all that youth 
there is there are a couple guys who could serve as a veteran presence in that forward group, even though it's predominantly young guys. Uh, you look at Andrew Miller. Uh, he's 28 years old. Uh, he had a couple stints in the NHL with the Oilers. Actually had some pretty decent offensive numbers uh, over nine games in 2014-2015. Uh, but like like Justin mentioned previously, he was a big part. Uh, he got red hot down the stretch in Charlotte uh, to help propel them into the playoffs, and I think he had a, a decent run in that one playoff series. Uh, and you know, we mentioned the Checkers, how they're building something with their roster, but they're also building, in a more literal sense, uh, an addition to their arena. And I think Justin has more on that. Yeah, they're going to be building what's called the Link, which is actually going to physically link Bojangles Coliseum, which, as you guys know, is the home of the Checkers, and Ovens Auditorium, which is literally a few steps away from it. Um, it's gonna. It was just approved by Charlotte City Council. It's going to be an $18.5 million project. Um, it's, it will be good for fans. Uh, it's going to offer more restroom space, some more offices, um, and other amenities. And uh, it's expected to start sometime next year and complete by the summer of 2019. And I had a got a statement from uh, the Checkers the other day, and they're really excited about it. And I think as fans, you should definitely be excited about it as well, because it's a you know an added addition to what I consider a pretty great arena for you know a minor league team. And then we you know continue to press of how good the talent's going to be. So I think it's a good time to anybody in Raleigh take a trip to Charlotte. It, you know, it will be worth it. Yeah, definitely. For a lot of reasons, it's a, a very exciting time to be a Charlotte Checkers fan. Uh, in a more broad sense, an exciting time to be an AHL fan because uh, recent reports uh, suggest that they may that players in the AHL may be getting a lot more exposure soon, as uh, apparently. Uh, players on AHL-only deals will supposedly be allowed to play in the Olympics, whereas players on two-way deals or NHL-only deals as of now will not. Uh, Brett, do you have any thoughts on that? It's the whole Olympic uh, scenario right now is is kind of interesting. Um, You have a whole lot of players that are kind of standing their ground and saying, well... If you're not going to let me go to the Olympics, NHL players, that is, if you're not going to let me go, I'm just going to go anyway. Um, and there, if players aren't saying that, they're saying that they're very disappointed, like Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby have all talked about how, or rumored to be talking about how they're very upset about it. And of course they are. All players of that are going to go to the Olympics or, or, or are expected to go are going to be upset about it. For me, it's just it's something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, when you're trying to grow your game um, and, and expanding it to to foreign markets, and you decide not to go to Pyeongchang in South Korea, you, you you choose not to go there. And there have been threats that the Olympic Committee, if they don't go in 2018, they aren't allowed to go to China, and I believe 2022. So I don't really I I don't really get the angle of uh, of the NHL on this one. Um, I feel like for the sake of growing the game and for the sake of keeping your players happy and somehow trying to avoid a lockout, which them not going to the Olympics will only give or put more fuel to the fire for the players uh, 
when that rolls around in a few years. Uh, it's it's just a really interesting dynamic between the players and and the uh, the higher ups in the league. Yeah, it seems to be something that the players definitely value. Um, and it, for me, it just doesn't make sense to skip one Olympics but then go to the next. You know what I mean? If if it's a financial thing. I guess I can understand that, you know, owners probably want to make money off of it, but they're not going to. And the more they hold out, the IOC isn't going to say, oh, oh my gosh, the NHL isn't going, what are we ever going to do? No, the games will still go on without them. Um, but, you know, the the thing that is kind of interesting to me is, you know, you had that KHL reporter open up about a possible second schedule. And uh, that that's going to be interesting. And, you know, you kind of want to see what's going to happen if you do have players especially some of the russians like ovechkin malkin if they go and some of the other nhlers don't are they going to receive punishment you know or retaliation by the league i i don't know that's something i guess you know is really confusing me yeah i i just i just think going to pyeongchang is such a no-brainer uh you know china is just such a big deal uh, as far as you know which sport uh, is going to be the first to kind of take a foothold in China. It's it's a huge untapped sports market there. Uh, lots going on with soccer. They're investing big time in soccer, and you know there's enough there's enough people there, fans there to go around. But I think hockey would be making a big mistake if they didn't if they didn't get that foot in the door with the Olympics in 2022. And you know I, I'm not sure if I buy that the that the IOC would prevent the NHL from going in 2022 if they didn't go now. Uh, that just seems like a bit of a weird move to me. But, you know, on some level, why would the NHL make that risk? But if they're if they're going to make that their hill to die on, as uh, Bill Daly, Daly famously said in 2013 with the lockout, then they're going to do that. And we'll not get NHL in the Olympics, and that'll be that. It just it seems like a lose situation for everyone because the NHL is not growing their game in a, like you said a very important market that nobody really has a grasp on and and the NHL would definitely be benefiting big time from from going over there and showing off their game um the players don't win obviously because they want to compete and they want to represent their countries and they're not able to it's, i mean it feels like this this should be easy like this should be an easy thing for the league to decide on and it's, I don't know. The lockout's going to be fun. I don't yeah. Know how we're going to do this show during the lockout. <laughs> we're going to have to do like a like a lockout alphabet and just go A and then spin the wheel for a topic. Apples. Bananas. <laughs> it'll be a fruit podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see um, which players do kind of force their way into going. Um, but you know, it'll, it'll be interesting, but in terms of the NHL, we're going to get back into our off season previews. Last week we did Boston and Buffalo. If you did not hear that, try to check it out either on canescountry.com or on our Google play page or on iTunes now too. We are on, oh, iTunes. we're going to be on iTunes. Ooh. I am excited to hear All that. Your episodes are on iTunes as we breaking speak. news on the podcast. I'm excited. Episode four will also be on there. We're very excited about it picture is very high resolution you're saying yeah in terms of that if you guys so being transparent 
we just didn't have the high resolution photo that iTunes needed in order to upload it, but now it's up there. It took four weeks to get a picture. Found the picture. All right, but we're going to get into Columbus first. They had a busy offseason, if you want to touch on that, Kyle. Yeah, the, obviously the big move that stands out is the blockbuster trade with Chicago, uh, in which they sent winger Brandon Saad, goaltender Anton Forsberg, and a 2018 pick to the Blackhawks for uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, forward Tyler Mott, and a 2017 sixth rounder. Uh, I like. I actually like this trade for the Blue Jackets. I don't think they had a really good offseason overall, but I think they did well here. Uh, Panarin is a guy who brings an element of skill that they were lacking on this roster. You know, uh, Cam Atkinson had a pretty good dynamic year for them, but he doesn't have a huge track record of being able to do that sort of thing consistently. Uh, and while I think Sod's a good player, he drives play well, does all the things you want in a hockey player. Uh, he's just he doesn't bring the high end level talent that our uh, Panarin does. And I think that'll be a, a good move for their forward group. I think Panarin's a legitimate top-line guy uh, as a winger. Uh, but the thing for this uh, Blue Jackets team is that I don't... I, I like uh, Alex Wenberg, but I'm not sold on him as a top, top-line top center. Uh, and I think their depth chart raises some questions, and I know Brett has some thoughts about that. Yeah, you know... Um... This is an interesting team because there's there could be a, a lot of uh, moving parts potentially. Um, of course, adding Panarin, who will be a top line player on this team, and Panarin kind of reminds me of Suter and Weber in a way. Him and Kane were kind of tied together in Chicago, and I think there are some questions as to okay, how good is Panarin going to be away from Kane? Just like the questions of okay, was it just Shea Weber making Ryan Suter better in Nashville? And then Suter went away to Minnesota and held that up and was great. And I, I think it's going to be the same kind of situation for Panarin. But you look you look down the, the lineup, and there's I think there's a couple questions. One, the development of some of these young guys. Uh, Bjorkstrand played up last year and played well when he was up. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't in the mix to start the year in Columbus. Sonny Milano is another guy who's been developing. Uh, First-round draft pick, number three overall a couple of years ago, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, if, if he can make that jump, um, I, I, don't, I, I feel like they, they want him to, to be a center. Um, I don't know how that, that development's going, but I know he, he tried to make that transition to center in the, in the queue last year. Um, and also on that team is Zach Dalpy, so that 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 earns you points, I guess. Um, and their blue line's really good too. I mean, you you look at that top four, and I think that competes with almost any team in hockey with Johnson, Jones, Wierenski, and Savard. Of course, Wierenski kind of jumped onto the scene last year and and proved why he was at the time when he was drafted in the Noah Hannafin draft why some people thought that, that he was a better player than Hannafin. Um, I remember that discussion happening a lot around draft time, um, and he really broke out, and he was a Calder finalist, of course. There's always that that risk going into year two that he, he kind of takes a step back, and teams know what to expect from him now. But uh, he's a guy with a lot of talent, and he's quickly turning into one of the better defensemen in the league. Um, an interesting... 
scenario in the bottom pairing will be Ryan Murray. I, I, I don't know how long he lasts in a bottom pairing role, given his contract and his you know status as a number two overall draft pick. Granted, very weak draft, the uh, Nail Yakupov draft. Uh, but I think that's kind of an interesting discussion, too, because I think he could be a top four defenseman on a lot of teams, and with his contract especially. Um, I wonder if that could possibly lead to you know trade rumblings at some point. Uh, another player on the defense that kind of interests me is Gabriel Carlson, who played real well in the Swedish league last year. Um, I think he's a guy that could step up and play in the uh, in the NHL. He was really good. Um, I think ultimately, though, this team kind of goes or stops with uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, Vesna winner last year. Um, if you see him have a setback this year, I think the team really suffers from that. Um, he was great during that long win streak that they had, which was a really big point in their year in regards to you know accumulating points and getting themselves in a good situation come playoff time, even though they... They didn't last long. Um, another question I have is, does John Torrella in his second year, does his does his fiery shtick, I guess, kind of keep the same level of legitimacy? Because you see a lot of coaches that have that high motor and are very energetic and loud and they yell a lot. Not all of them have very long shelf lives. So I'm wondering if... Tortorella's, you know, style of coaching will will continue to be effective going into another year with this same group of players. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good team though, um, top to bottom. It's a team with depth and uh, a team that will, you know, that shouldn't take a very uh, d- big step back from last year. For me, I'm more surprised about what they did not do. Uh, they were a team that was rumored for the top prize of the offseason, Matt Duchesne. Uh, but luckily for them, they didn't give in to Joe Sackick's crazy trade demands. Um, for me, I think their team, outside of Sergei Bobrovsky, they're, lock- they're lacking any top-end talent, especially in terms of the offense. Um, you know, they kind of traded their prize center away for Seth Jones, but, you know, that's the price you pay for defense. Um, but for me... I don't think a Patrick Kane-less Artemi Panarin or a Sam Gagne kind of gets him over the hump and wins him a playoff series if they even make it at all. Yeah, it's definitely a team that's going to hinge on Sergei Bobrovsky. And obviously, uh, the underlying numbers weren't too kind to the Blue Jackets last year. Uh, There was a lot of sustainability talk when they were at their best, and I don't think that was unfounded at all. Um, you know, Tortorella's system is never going to be conducive to long-term success. Uh, that's just how it is. He hasn't changed his stripes very much. He still likes the same type of players, still employs the same type of system. Uh, you know, you don't teach an old dog new tricks, and I certainly don't think Tortorella's really learned anything different. Uh, so while I think there are a lot of things to like about this roster, obviously Bobrovsky is excellent, and he alone could easily make this a playoff team. Uh, there's a lot of things to like on that defense, too. Orensky's great. Jones is great. Uh, David Savard was a guy who kind of 
took a big step forward last year and became, you know, a legitimate top pairing defenseman with the way he was playing. Uh, but you know, the, the forward depth is a little concerning. Uh, Gagne was a huge for them coming off from the fourth line to the third line and on the power play, put up a ton of points. And without him, you know, that the, the scoring at the bottom of the roster that kind of made them dangerous offensively, that could disappear there. I think I wouldn't be too surprised to see that happen. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's a it's a good team with questions uh, the, that they could easily end up, you know, having things to go against them this year that went for them last year and finding themselves out of the playoffs. All right. And moving on to our next team in this season preview, uh, the Detroit Red Wings. And Justin Lape, you have a uh, a little bit of a history covering the Detroit Red Wings. What's your opinion on a very uh, interesting situation in Detroit. Yeah, well, I, I started my quote-unquote online writing career um, with Octopus Thrower of the fan-sided uh, blog, and Detroit is a team that continuously runs their franchise the same way. They value old players, and they give players ridiculous amounts of money. Um, right now, they're a team that's pretty much in cap purgatory as well as just purgatory itself. They're they're caught in between. They don't really have any young guys that really stand out. You had Dylan Larkin, who had a really good rookie season, but then last year quickly fell off a cliff. Um, you know, it, and then they obviously didn't learn their lesson because then they, you know, extend Tatar for 5.3 mil for four years, which is cap it it's a little high for him in my opinion um but again they just spend too much yeah you mentioned the the thing with giving a lot of money to older players and you know we all saw how well and good that works out when the older players that you're paying a lot to are pavel datsuk and nicholas lidstrom and henrik zetterberg but you're going to start to run into trouble when those players turn into justin abdelkader and nicholas cronwall and jonathan erickson and trevor daly and Darren Helm and Luke Glendening. That's just not that's those are all guys they have for a significant amount of time. And when you have as much money committed to players that are that ineffective at this stage in careers, you're gonna be in a terrible cap situation and you're gonna be in a bad situation on the ice. Uh I actually differ a little bit. Uh I do like that Tatar contract, but you know, that's just a drop in the bucket in terms of having good players on reasonable deals. It's not like that contract's a steal or anything. I think it's just fair market value for a good player. Uh, they still have to get Andreas Athanasiu under contract. And with the year he just had, I can't imagine him being too cheap. Uh, Anthony Mantha is great. Dylan Larkin is great. There's some good pieces there, but there's not much flexibility with building a forward group around those guys with they still have four years committed to Henrik Zetterberg, who's 36 years old. And he had a little bit of a resurgence this past year, but that's he's not going to get any better. He's only going to get worse at this point. And, you know, Franz Nielsen's 33, and they still have five more years committed to him. <laughs> what are they going to do? Like, wh- where are they going to get those supporting pieces for their, their Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu core that that is good, uh, but it's certainly not going to keep pace with the likes of Toronto and Buffalo as far as young forwards go in their own division. I just don't really see <laughs> I don't see the rhyme or reason to this roster or this cap situation. Yeah, and they're a team that 
you know, you thought they would make a more significant splash in the offseason. This is the first time they missed the playoffs in basically a quarter of a century. Um, you know, they're moving into a new home, a new chapter in Detroit. So you'd think that, you know, they would make take the right steps, maybe start, you know, acquiring younger prospects, you know, to kind of wean into this new stadium. But, you know, same old, same old. It kind of screams like identity crisis because this is an organization that's so used to winning and and doing it in such an impressive way um, over more than two decades. Um, And you're kind of seeing what happens when that comes to an end. You're kind of left with overpaid old players. Um, Not only are a lot of these players vastly overpaid and on contracts for way too long you look at the no trades and no movement clauses there's not a lot of wiggle room for the red wings um they have five defensemen on no trade clauses including danny de kaiser and nicholas cronwall and jonathan erickson and trevor daly who they thought was a good player to sign in the offseason it's just they make a lot of decisions that I guess at the time seemed like good ideas because they were winning. And now we're kind of at the point where we're seeing what happens when it kind of falls apart. They're even paying Stephen Weiss for four more years. And Stephen Weiss is not in the league anymore. And he's going to be paid through 2020-2021. And he's going to get $2.5 million this year um, because of a buyout. So... I mean, I like the, some of the young pieces, uh, like Kyle mentioned. Um, Dylan Larkin had a setback in his sophomore year, but if he can get back to where he was as a rookie in his third year, that'd be big for Detroit. Um, Anthony Mantha was real good when he came up last year. Um, I think he takes a step forward. He has great size, and his ability to score is really impressive. Um, Anathasu, he had a big breakout year and he's a restricted free agent and he's going to get paid um i like xavier ouellette on the blue line they signed him to a bridge deal um for just over a million dollars so maybe he develops into something good for them and even guys coming up like evgeny svechnikov uh he had a great year with uh, grand rapids and of course they went on to win the calder cup um for the ahl championship last year um, even a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi, who, again, is a guy who will irritate a lot of people just because of his last name, but he had a good year in, in Grand Rapids last year, and I think he's kind of starting to turn that kind of like nasty uh, you know, style of play into one of, of skill, because from 15-16 in the AHL, he had 133 penalty minutes. And last year, that came down to 37. And he played fewer games. He played about 50 games last year, but still 37 penalty minutes isn't something that jumps off the page to you like it did for Bertuzzi um, in years past when the penalty minute number was, was very high. So they have they have young pieces that could work out. It's just I, I some of the moves that they're making still with, with Trevor Daly, I, I, I question what they're trying to do because this is not a team that's going to win now. It's not going to win anytime soon. So with all that being said, um, we do have to make predictions. 
So we have Columbus and we have Detroit. Uh, Brett, Justin, are these playoff teams? Yeah, I'll start with Columbus. Um, there are some losses there that hurt. Um, that hurt Columbus specifically losing Gagne. I mean, that's a fifty-point score coming out of your lineup. That's going to hurt any team in the league. Um, and and adding Panarin is a move that I I really liked for them. I think he, of course, he replaces Gagne's production in just in raw terms of points, and then he does that and then some. Uh, I like the. I like the depth, and I like the young players that are still coming up. You look at guys like Josh Anderson, who had a great rookie year. Um, Bjorkstrand's coming up. Milano. Um, even a guy like Tyler Mott, who's coming over from Chicago. Maybe he f- makes his way into the lineup. Gabriel Carlson. Uh, for me, there's a lot to like. And barring some sort of John Tortorella-esque collapse in Columbus or Sergei Bobrovsky uh, can't get back to the level he was at last year. I think this is a playoff team. Um, and I, I think that they're going to finish in the top three of the Metropolitan Division. Wow, that's a big statement. Um, but I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, I think, again, they're going to be the odd team out in the Metro. I don't think they took any significant steps. I mean, adding Panarin's nice, uh, but it's a very crowded division. I think they will be out of the playoffs. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the middle ground here. Uh, I think I think they'll grab one of the wild card spots. I think the Metro is gonna grab both of them, and I think Columbus will be one of those teams. And with Detroit, I don't think there's there's much of a uh, of of an argument that's gonna be had here. This is a team that I I can't see really sniffing the playoffs this year unless a number of things go right, including another great year from Zetterberg, uh, comebacks from Nielsen, Abdul Kader rises from the dead. Um, a, a lot of stuff has to go right for Detroit, and the fact that they're so strapped for, for money right now and the, the, the situation that they're in with their old players I think this is a team that's still trending down despite the addition of Trevor Daly. Um, yeah, I, I, I see Detroit. They picked ninth last year. I think they pick in the six to or five to eight range this year. Yeah, for sure. I think I think this is one of the few teams in the league that is below average in every ass or every facet of the game. Uh, Jimmy Howard and goal at this point in his career is a below average goalie on defense. There's no one on this defense who is at all capable of playing uh, a top pairing role successfully at forward. Uh, you're lacking uh, an elite high end guy, uh, and there's some nice depth there, but uh, you're relying on Zetterberg, Nielsen, Abdelkader, Helm, all in key roles. And like I mentioned earlier, I like Larkin, Mantha, and I like Athanasiu. Uh, but I don't think they're enough to tilt this forward group into being one that's like firmly above average in the NHL. And I just think, you know, <laughs> going out on a limb here, but I think if you're below average at forward defense and in goal, then you're going to have a hard time making the playoffs. And I, I honestly see Detroit as uh, probably one of the four worst teams in the league this year. Yeah, and another player that took a big step back was Peter Morazic. Um, You know, he could have actually be a Vegas Golden Knight so that they're lucky about that but um again it it would be exciting if you are a Detroit fan with a new season but as terms of the product on the ice I don't think they get it done 
I think they're, again, too much in purgatory. They need to turn that corner. They need to get younger. Um, so I think they are also going to be a team that sees themselves out of the playoffs. But that will be it for this episode of the Canes Country Podcast. I am Justin Lape, otherwise known as at Lanky Lape on Twitter. Don't forget to follow us at Canes Country SBN. That is C-A-N-E-S-C-N-T-R-Y-S-B-N. I'm joined by Kyle Morton. And I can be found on Twitter at K underscore Morton 9. And Brett Finger. And you can find me on Twitter at Brett Finger, B-R-E-T-T-F-I-N-G-E-R. And, of course, you can find all of our content, um, some of it controversial over the past week, on uh, canescountry.com. A lot of entertaining stuff going on there. Yeah, make sure to remember that everything you've seen on Kane's Country lately is 100% serious. Uh, they're all real opinions that we all have. We all, all endorse every word of every article, all of us. Let us know what you think. And don't forget to endorse us on iTunes by subscribing. That was a beautiful segue. You're welcome. That will be it for the Kane's Country Podcast. Join us next week. Bye. 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 Ha, ha, ha.